ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV Dampener with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talks Andy. Walker Fowler, welcome to ATV Talk. I've been chasing you around the planet here for a few months. How are you, sir? Mr. Duncan, I'm doing great. Uh, just coming off a win at the last GNCC race in Ohio. So, I mean, right, right now you're, you're only as good as your last race. So we're back on top and morale is at an all time high. <laughs> well, that's awesome. What was there ever a doubt? Uh, I like to doubt myself and, and try to always convince myself that I'm kind of an underdog. Uh, I guess maybe it just helps motivate me to continue to prove something I probably don't need to be proving, but I always feel like I have to, uh, at least in my brain, it's kind of motivating to, to prove myself worthy of it, of being able to win. You know what, whatever it takes to keep you winning is whatever it takes, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, I think people all have different, different ways of going about the, uh, the end goal and, and how you want to be successful. And I think for me, it's just, like I said, I always feel like I got something to prove. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. You keep doing it because you're, you're putting a hurting on those guys and uh, not that they're slow by any means, because I see no means (laughs) I see some guys coming, you know, Hunter Hart, that guy, he's, does he ride as fast as he talks? He's starting to be able to match it. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a young kid and he's definitely found some speed. He can latch on. Uh, I think just, um, you know, at least when I was younger, that the the two hour race is really hard to to figure out and to be able to keep a a, a pace the whole time. So he has the speed. Now we're just need to get him to uh, hold it for longer than an hour and 20 minutes. And then he he usually starts to flake out a little bit, but that's all that just comes with time. And, uh, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm 28 years old and it took me till about five or six years ago to really start putting the pieces together. So it's, uh, you know, age definitely helps. And I've been doing this 20, so be my 23rd full season of racing. So, and that goes all the way back into the youth classes. Yep. That goes back to local racing, 
in, uh, in Northeast Ohio in 1997 was our first full season. I raced a couple races in 1996, shortly after my fourth birthday. What what did you start on? I had a uh, Yamaha uh, Quad Zinger 60. The little ones that look like, uh, it was an 86, I think, and they look like pickup trucks. Yep. Yep, the sky blue one. It was awesome. I, I wish we still had it for sure. I hate that we got rid of it, but maybe I'll find it. I'll, maybe I'll find it one day. Or find one that looks like it, right? Or find one close enough. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it was an awesome, that was a great time to be alive. Had a DG pipe on it. Had some turf tamers on it, I think. And yeah, just you, you were styling, styling for sure. A helmet about nine sizes too big that, that bolted on the chin. I don't even remember what brand it was. <laughs> uh, a bunch of old hand me down fox riding gear, same thing. Everything was so big. I have a, I wish I could share it on here, but I had a, a phone photo that I found the other day and it was like, wow, man, technology has come a long way. <laughs> you need to send that photo to me. I will. So what we'll do is we'll attach that to your promo videos and let people see it. Heck yeah. That's awesome. So you started a ways back and you mentioned that, that you're 28 and in the age group of ATV racing, you're young to be a champion. Do you realize that? I was, I got started winning a lot younger than, uh, than a lot of guys, I think. So, um, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of in my prime right now and I'm, and I'm enjoying that, but I know that, uh, by mid thirties, usually it's about, that's about the end of it. So I'm, I'm definitely, uh, enjoying it now because I know that, uh, I'm closer to the end than the beginning, but I just, I'm loving the ride. I disagree with you, young man. You think of the fast guys in the ATV world are late thirties, early forties. Wow. If you go True. back, chart the history, you know, with, with some of your champions. Okay. We'll take Chad Weenan, 37 years old. Maybe he's yep. not the fast guy today, but he's still carrying the number one plate late right now. He's he is. That is very true. Okay. You come to the West coast, Bo Barron. Oh yeah. I forgot about Bo. He's, is he 40? Yep. Doug Eichner was winning championships in his forties. Yeah. Yeah. True. Uh, Did he ever win one at 50? No, he retired. No. Okay. Um, I think if things would have changed a little bit in his life, unfortunately he had some uh, bad turns. Uh, His wife uh, was ill and, you know, unfortunately for him, it just, it just didn't work out. Yeah, if if he could today, he'd still be racing. I that's awesome. <laughs> uh, he loves it. I just I just got to see him this weekend and and talk with him, and that was the biggest highlight of the conversation. Was gosh, I wish I could race again. <laughs> right on. Well, I'd love to see him. I'll say that's a name that literally he was winning championships before I was alive. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, who did you? Or, or who put their wing out and helped you get where you are and learn your trade? Um, I mean, initially, um, my, fr- my dad was friends with, uh, Kim Coonley, a Banshee rider back in the day. Oh, and he's actually who inspired me to start racing. And he kind of helped, uh, get us set up. His uh, youngest daughter was the same age as me. So we, kind of, we were friends, my dad was friends with him. And then obviously we were all kind of family friends in the early days. So then, uh, 
we had some local shops and whatnot that kind of helped us out. But then the, the first real big, big help, big mentor was Bill Balance in uh, 2000, 2008. And um, I didn't ride for him till 2010, but he kind of started hinting like, you know, if you keep it up, we, we should have a spot for you. Just if, if everything works out, cause it rides are tough to get. And especially on the ATV side, but there was a little bit more opportunity, you know, 2006, 2008, that time frame was pretty, pretty hot. So we were hoping that we could get our foot in the door. And even if, um, you know, even if I couldn't get a whole lot of sponsorship, just being able to, to be around bill and, and, and have that kind of mentor would have been insane. And sure, sure enough, we, we just kept, kept our, our nose to the grindstone and, and just kept doing our thing. And, and, uh, he was able to get us some Yamaha sponsorship. And then, you know, I just, just picked his brain for three years. And, um, that was right when he was just done winning 2009. And, uh, you know, he just, he still had the fight and the desire to win. He just, his body just couldn't take it anymore. And, and he lost some of the fun funding and support. And, you know, he was trying to transition into uh team manager instead of rider. And he really struggled with that, but it was still an awesome time to be around him. The guy had so much knowledge about ATVs and suspension. Mostly. I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've, I've taken away from it was, um, the, our suspension program is definitely better than, better than anyone's. And, and we, we ad- adopted a lot of things that, that Bill taught us. And that's been probably the single greatest help. And, and I still talk to him all the time if I have any questions or concerns and, and, um, you know, he's, uh, he's been a, a huge part of my life for sure. That's so awesome. Um, because I know he was a fierce competitor for years and, uh, is he worried about you dethroning him as one of the greats? Um, we've actually had the conversation and, uh, he looks forward to it actually. Um, it's not that he doesn't want it to happen. He, he wants it to happen. And, and, you know, when, when he gets talked about, he wouldn't mind a bit if I'm right there with him. And, uh, I think that's really cool. Maybe, maybe 10 years ago, not so much, but I think, um, as he stepped away and and life has kind of happened and he realized how important his, his life in racing was. And I I just think he's, he has a lot better attitude about everything now. And and it's awesome to, to like hear that from him. Like, I hope, I hope you beat me and, or when, when you do beat me, we'll celebrate. So it's, uh, pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Cause you're, you're in a crowd with some big names, you know, Chris Borich, Barry Hawk, Bill Balance, you know, Walker Fowler. These are names that everybody in the, in the cross country world. know. Yeah. I still don't feel like I'm up on that, on that level yet. I know the results say otherwise, but when I look back and, and, and think of those, those names and just the, like you said, the fierce tenacity that those guys just came to every event with, and they were just incredible competitors and just true athletes. And like, I'm just some redneck <laughs> four wheeler rider from Northeast Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, I love it. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. You know what? It, that's probably one of the reasons why you're doing well is because you, you keep it grounded, you keep it in perspective and it, you keep it real. Well, that's, I know, um, you, you gotta, like I said, I think you kind of have to stay a little humble and you have to stay a little, uh, like you said, grounded just because, uh, 
you know, that's no, no one likes arrogance. I, I love confidence, you know, and I think sometimes people take that the wrong way, but, uh, it's some, some people like to press the wrong buttons and you have to sometimes be like, Hey, I don't know if you looked at the results, but shows for itself. Other than that, I try to keep it pretty calm, but some certain people just love to poke the bear, you know, <laughs> always. Oh, the, the- Dude, that's how you get the bear out of the shell sometimes so that you can see a little bit of the confidence and, and let you enjoy some of your accomplishments. You know, uh, I, if I get this wrong, correct me. It's six titles, right? Six straight. Yes. That's impressive. I don't care who you are. That's impressive. Yeah. Thank you. We're very, uh, we're proud of it. And it's definitely not a one man effort. I have an absolutely incredible team and, and support group and, you know, my family and just super fortunate. Uh, we've, we've worked our tails off to be able to get there and, and have that support too. I know there's a lot of people that are like, Oh, well, if so-and-so had that kind of sponsorship and if so-and-so had that, well, they probably would, but you know, it's, it's a whole package deal. Your, your whole crew has to you're all in the same light. And if, and if there's one little bit of somebody that, that can tarnish it, it always comes back on you. So i I'm, uh, you know, I'm very proud of my, of our support group, our sponsors and, and my family, the way they hold themselves and present themselves. And it's, uh, you know, like I said, it's a small group, but we have to remain very professional and, and some people take us as robots, but I think there's a certain way to go about it in this business. And you just can't, you definitely can't, uh, bite the hand that feeds that's for sure so we uh i i remember how professional bill always was and and uh you know chris was always like a really professional rider and 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 look and and the way they acted so just try to follow suit with a lot of the greats well that's all you can do they gave you those two guys right there that's a mouthful that's a lot yeah, of them. yeah. number ones man yep do you do you interact with chris very much um, here and there, um, for the Nick Janusa, uh, pit bike race, it was the, the Turkey Derby two years ago. I actually, um, he invited us to, to come to his house and, and ride pit bikes. And then I actually stayed on his, uh, cot in the, in his living room. So that was pretty cool. Hadn't, uh, we hadn't hung out in a long time. So it was nice to catch up and, and, uh, you know, we, we don't have any bad blood, uh, obviously when we were battling real close 2013, 14, 15, it's, you know, you just, it's, it's hard. That trend, that championship transition is, is, uh, is hard for sure. So, you know, I think maybe once, maybe not once you're not, not so much not winning, but once that's kind of settled down, I think we all kind of go back to, you know, kind of just being bench racing friends. And, and, uh, you know, he's a, like I said, he's a heck of a competitor and a great guy and, his, his daughter's awesome. His wife's great. So, you know, it's, she makes the best cookies, best uh, <laughs> well, well, sugar wait, cookies. You're not supposed to be eating those. That's not on your diet plan. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I make an exception for, for Don's uh, sugar cookies. <laughs> well, I will definitely have to reach out and see if I can get my hands on some of them sugar. Cookies. Heck yeah. They're awesome. I'm not training for anything. <laughs> <laughs> I passed that years ago. Yeah. It's, it's overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of training, what, what are some of the, the don't give all your secrets away. Cause I don't want, I don't want the young guys hearing it and, and being able to use it against you. But, uh, 
couple training tips that the things that you do that that you think are key to your success? Um, cardio, uh, cardiovascular training is very important. Um, and swimming is probably the best thing you can do. It's real, real easy on your body. I'm, I don't, um, really have access to a, a pool right now, but sometimes lake water or, uh, we were in the ocean, um, about 10 days ago, uh, alligator reef in, uh, is that Isla Mirada in the keys in Florida? Okay. And uh did a bunch of snorkeling around without life jackets or flippers. And <laughs> and I know it's great exercise because I was in the current to the lighthouse, but then I had to swim against the current. And I don't really swim that good, but I was whooped. I slept awesome that night. I was out there for about an hour. And at one point on the way back, I was like, I might drown. <laughs> oh. yeah. But then, you know, the instinct takes over. So I was pretty zonked, but swimming's awesome. Um, I do a lot of jogging. Uh Good tennis shoes are pretty cheap compared to a lot of Pelotons and crazy equipment. So you throw some shoes on and I don't listen to music or anything. I just, just my thoughts and, uh, you know, I'll just go out there. And if I, if I run for two miles and, and it's, um, my knees are bothering me or something, I'll, I'll bring it on home. If I, if I need to go run 10 miles, I'll run 10, you know, it just, you got to listen to your body and you got to know, you have to be able to, to know yourself well enough to be like, this is either I'm either hurting myself or I'm, or I'm helping myself. Um, and then a lot of riding, there is no substitute, um, for exercise and practice better than being on your machine. Um, and I, some guys believe that some guys don't, I know the motocross, uh, dirt bike guys don't ride as much as, or a certain, they do different kinds of sprints and, and, and motos. And like, I'll just go out and ride and ride and ride, burn a tank of fuel out of it, put some more fuel in it and keep riding. Um, for me, that's, that's really helpful. It's just to be familiar with my sheet machine and know every little thing that it's going to do and how it reacts. And, uh, like I said, it's just, you gotta be able riding has to be as easy as breathing. Right. That's a, such a great line right there. I, I think I'm going to use that if you don't mind. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> that, that, that's because it's so true. Yeah. You know? There's mean, it, it, it are speeds and, and everything that's going on, you can't be focused on riding. You have to be worried about not hitting that tree at 60 miles an hour. And you have to be able to see your marks way far ahead. And, and you got to be able to listen to who's behind you and you got to, you know, just, you're always looking at lap traffic and just the obstacles. If you're worried about riding, you're not focused on the other things that are happening that really make the difference between amateur racing and pro racing. How long have you been a pro? I have been a pro 2012. So this is our working on our 10th season, I think. Ninth season. Ninth. Yeah. Been yeah. A pro nine years and won six titles. Oof. Yep. And you're leading the points for your seventh. Yes. Yeah. We have almost a two point lead with, uh, and we're just over the halfway point. So there's six rounds remaining. But as long as I keep it on the podium, I'm I'm sitting really good to hopefully get number seven. So we're never gonna count chickens before they hatch. What was the point difference? Uh, it's 58 right now. Uh, no, a one one league. race is is 30. A whole race is 30 points. So okay, I misheard. I misheard you. So that yep. So we, uh, you know, just a nice points lead allows some breathing room. If there is a mechanical failure or an injury, you know, like, like I like to cut my finger off last year, right before the summer break started back up, 
Wow. So yeah, missing the, uh, how did you do that? The, I closed it in the door of my skid steer, the, uh, the main engine door in the back. It, uh, it gotten crushed when we were having, having to open it with a pry bar. And it finally about the 10th time doing that, it, it popped off the bottom hinge and I was trying to lift it back up onto into place. And when it went in, I didn't pull my hand out fast enough and it crushed it just right off. So right behind the fingernail is uh, gone. So I have, I have part of the last joint and then everything else is, you know, normal still, but it's really, it did affect a lot of things and I still, I don't have much feeling in it. And, uh, my grip strength is coming back. It was, it was a hindrance up until probably a couple months ago, but just, uh, yeah, you know, life throws some weird stuff at you. So that it's amazing that something that small can put that big of an impact on your body or affected you mentally at all? A little bit. Um, I think it it more so in the way of like, am I, am I ever going to win again? Can I get comfortable enough on the machine? I've ridden the same way for 23 years and now we're into year 24. Is it, was it gonna, was I going to be able to do it still? So it took, um, it took a long time to get comfortable again. The first race back, actually, it was just, just a gritty performance. I was really far out of shape. I didn't, I got the ride, um, three days prior to the the first race back last year, I, I uh, had the injury July 23rd and I literally rode the three days leading up to um, the West Virginia race. that would have been early September. Um, and it actually shouldn't have been a big deal. Like they just kind of sew it back, you know, well, they, they weren't going to try to sew it back on, but uh, ended up getting infected real bad. And then it took a long time for it to heal and they had to take, I hadn't really lost all that much, but then they had to take a lot more back to get the infection out of there. And it was a big ordeal. So two surgeries and just a mess, but, uh, yeah, it, it was mentally taxing physically. Like I said, uh, I was so out of shape and then I ended up, I ended up getting a podium and, uh, I just pretty much lucked out into that one. The last lap, I was just dead. I had, I had gotten stuck and I just used all my energy getting, getting the machine off of a tree. I had and I don't even know how I did it. I slid into it. It was an uphill and I slid into a tree and it went behind my, uh, my heel guard and like in behind the axle. See, we we had to push the 450 pound four wheeler uphill and lift it like three feet off the ground to get it off this stupid tree. Luckily there were some people standing there, but it just zonked me. So that was, uh, that was tough. And then I go to the next race, which was the Baroque GNCC and ended up getting a concussion, a pretty severe concussion and the compounding injuries, um, that, that really took its toll on me. So I kind of just suffered through that. I don't really remember much of the race. I ended up, I did end up getting second. I inherited second. Cool Richardson had a DNF there. Uh, Bryce O'Neill killed everyone that day. He beat us, beat us by like three minutes, I think. And, uh, Went to the next race, same thing, real bad dust race. I just gutted it out, headaches and all blurry vision. And or and it was just like slow. That was the biggest issue. My vision was slow. So like I was hitting trees and I hadn't even seen them come yet. Like, and then it would, and then I would notice I hit it. So that was a really big struggle, but, uh, took a lot of time, which is bad. I took a lot more time off again to, to get healed up from everything. 
And uh, basically January 1st of this year, I finally just got back to it. And it took a long time to get back in shape, but I think we're almost there. Wow. That's, that's quite a tale. And that goes with the life of racing and the life of being a professional athlete. Uh, you know, injuries do happen. Things, things outside the norm sometimes change the outcome for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you got to be able to adapt and is it smart to be riding with those injuries? Probably not, but uh, this is how I make my living. It's no different than, uh, you know, taking too many sick days. I, I, I only had so many, so many days I could take, and then I needed to go back to work, whether it was safe or not. It's the part of the risk that we take. Um, you know, it's, I, I love what I do to the point where I guess I'm, I'm really willing to risk some health, <laughs> hopefully not permanent, but you know, it's, this is my job. I love it. And I have goals I have to, or want to achieve. And, and sometimes that means doing some really dumb stuff. <laughs> do, do when you were talking about riding, do you just ride woods or do you go motocross ride or do you have specific set loops that you're riding? So I, I do practice quite a bit of motocross and I really would like to make a couple of pro motos before, before I'm much older. And before I retire, for sure, I would love to see where I stack up. And I think bike setup would be a little bit of a hindrance because I have no idea, but cause I just have always ridden my cross country bike on moto, but I, I really would like to try it. Um, I have, uh, there's 36 ish acres, 40 acres. Um, that I ride more than anywhere. And I have, I have a motocross track that I've been working on the last few years and it was, it's, it, I've had it forever, but it was like kind of a little backyard built with shovels style track. And now it's, um, you know, getting quite a bit, almost, you can almost go too wide on everything, which is awesome and safer. So that's been fun and kind of a little side project. Some people have hobby farms. I just have this hobby motocross track. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, and then my dad actually has, uh, another 200 acre, uh, farm that, that I go ride at too. So, and then, uh, Cole Richardson's not that far away, so we can go ride with him. And and there's another kind of, a. it's, it's private owned, but it's kind of, Oh, we kind of the public kind of has overtaken it. So we end up there. It's called Hillsville. And, uh, it's, if it's really muddy, it's like, uh, it's real Sandy. So we all go there if it's really muddy. Cause at least, at least you can ride something. Well, the, better than sitting on the couch, right? Sitting on the couch and the Pennsylvania and Ohio clay, when it rains, it makes a mess. So we'll go ride that. <laughs> and, and when you ride in most of these woods races, I see the photos is it because they're run, running you through water or is it, do they water sections of the course to make it so muddy? How does, how does that happen? It seems like it's just always muddy. Um, they do try to find, you know, some Creek beds and, and some different obstacles that we always, it, it could be the middle of the summer and it hasn't rained in two months. And somehow I think they still find mud to run us through. <laughs> But uh, snowshoe, especially that place, just has so many uh, natural springs everywhere that as soon as we make it make quad ruts, the water will funnel into those ruts, and then it just runs and runs forever. And you just you literally can't get out of the water. So 
that part's miserable, but, uh, that's what makes snowshoe snowshoe. And, and we run those, uh, snowmobile style hand guards, the gauntlets right. or mitts, they call them. Um, and that's, uh, that's a race I'm really looking forward to. That place is super gnarly and I look forward to it, but it also, it, it makes me sick. Like you have to, you're just like so worried about maybe not finishing and trying to limp the thing to the finish line and not get stuck. And it's, I mean, the obstacles and the weather and fans, like it's some pretty intense stuff that goes on there. And it's always an accomplishment just to finish there. But it's also like, like I said, I'll be sick till about eight o'clock and then I calm down and I'm fine. But it's just, that's a race. If, if you've never been to one and you wanted to see like what the, epitome of gncc racing is that is it because it's it's unbelievable did it did it take over where block blackwater left off definitely yes and especially if the weather's not good if it's if it's if it's wet because it's wet there anyway but if it's wet leading up to it oh my gosh is it it's hard is there a lot of drastic changes you make to your machine in the wet so I think one thing that's really cool is um, everyone up until four years ago wouldn't change anything. They wouldn't put bigger handguards on. They wouldn't. They wouldn't put bigger tires on. They they wouldn't uh, waterproof anything. And, and it seemed and it was really strange because like we all did that. Like you just raced, and it was like, man, what if we just changed one thing? So I think it was Adam that came up with the mafia mitts. It was a gauntlet style guard. And I mean, he put them on and we're all like, look at those stupid things. He's never going to be, how do you take your hands out of these things, do your goggles and then like slide back in. That'll never work. Well, he won pretty sure the first race he put them on and he won. It was like, well, we all got to do it now. So we all have them. And then, uh, and I'm not sure who actually even started it, but, I'd have to think. I don't I'd have to I'd have to do some digging, but somebody put oversized tires on for a mud race and we all line up more cuz there's some different tread patterns that people would run that maybe seemed bigger but not physically running like our our standard tire size is a 21 inch front and a 20 inch rear. Well, when someone comes rolling up to the starting line in a mud race with 23 inch front tires and 22 inch rear tires, you're like, holy cow. And then same thing. We got on the track and it was like, oh my gosh, what a advantage that is. That is awesome. So now everyone has an extra set of wheels in the, in their trailer. We're just waiting for the rain to come down and we all put these monster truck tires on and it's like having four wheel drive. It's so incredible. So, um, and, and goggle prep goggles have come a long way the last couple, couple of years. And just, there is a lot of things that, that we pretty much are all forced to do because one person did it and it was a huge advantage. And so there's, there is a lot of, of prep for, uh, mud races as well as, uh, dust races. Actually, um, last year was the first time in my career I've ever had to pull in and, and change an air filter mid race. And it didn't even make it an hour. I, I've had filters get clogged up at the, around the two hour mark and, and need changed. Or when we do the Heartland challenge in Iowa and it's a 10 hour race, three or four hours, you have to change a filter. That's understandable, but, and that's the track we're going to next and it's not been raining. So it's something, it's almost like, like talcum powder and it actually sucks the oil off the filter. And it was just 
killing everyone's engines last year. So we all pulled in and now people have different outerwares and different pre-filters and covers. And, you know, now there's a whole nother prep for dust, like bad dust, mud, regular setup. You know, it's just, it's pretty wild how, like I said, one, one guy doing stuff has changed everything. I've always wondered what some of your water setups were because, you know, we tried to get pretty creative in the 250R days when we were racing back East and, and you get a mud motocross race, you know, and I remember standing in 14 inches of water, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just thinking there's just no way to keep the water out. No, um, it's going to, you're, you're going to run, somebody's going to eat a motor or everybody's going to eat a motor. Yeah. Because and, uh, there's so much water. Yeah. I, I think the only, the only good thing is the, uh, the fuel injected Yamahas. They love water. They'll, they just love it. They're like, let's, you want to pour some of that in the fuel? All right. Sounds good. I just, we'll push it right through the injector, right out the tailpipe. Let's go. Oh, wow. <laughs> they, uh, they're tough. It's a, it's a hell of a machine. Um, and it's a, like I said, it actually is a little less finicky in the, in the water than a lot of them. So we're very fortunate there. Um, a lot of duct tape, a lot of zip ties and a lot of silicone on a bad mud day. It's nothing pretty, <laughs> but it, it gets the job done. <laughs> well, Hey, that's all that matters is getting the job yep. done. Yep. You know, keep the mud out of the radiator and, and let it run. Right. Yep. We, we block it completely off and we run an oversized, uh, small fan, a uh, big old 12 inch fan and just let it do its thing. Well, Hey. Cause it'll suck the air in from somewhere. It'll suck it from other places. Yep. And that's, everyone does it. So it's not like I just let some big secret out, but it's everyone on the start or the fans will be like, what, why do you have your front end duct taped? And I'm like, that's where the nitrous bottle is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and somebody believes you every time. Cause I say it with a straight face. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is in the rule book. We can't have nitrous, but. Wow. That's not fair. Uh, it's a bummer, right? <laughs> right? Have you ever, have you ever seen anybody run studded tires or anything like that for any kind of, uh, you know, like in a slippery, slippery mud conditions? So I don't think you can actually run them at GNCC, but we did a, a winter series in Ohio here and, uh, I didn't have studded tires. So I ran, um, the stock Yamaha tires. I think at the time were like Dunlops this would have been 2000, probably 2009. And I, I actually, but I was my mechanic, Mark Notman was still racing. So we both did it. We, uh, we just ran like two pounds of air in the tires, like, like the same idea, like you do for sand, you run real low pressure. And one of the guys showed up and had studded tires. And that's the first time I've ever seen studded tires on a four wheeler. And it was 10 degrees outside with 12 inches of snow. And he smoked us. <laughs> it was not even close to being fair. <laughs> so if you're going to race in those conditions, you already know what you're going to do. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm going to go get some sheet metal screws or something. And we're just going to start putting them all over the place. <laughs> you need, you need to listen to episode one of Doug Eichner on ATV talk. There's a whole, there's a whole story about that, that Doug and I talk about uh, on the West coast. Did he ever do any, uh, ice racing? Like would he have ever went to Canada or anything? Um, he raced in New Zealand. I don't, I don't remember him going to Canada. Okay. 
but he's raced everything that I can imagine that you can race. Uh, no, we, we might've did, we might've done an ice race in like a, a stadium. Okay. Uh, in an arena like that, but not natural terrain. Uh, at least I didn't with him. Um, I'm allergic to the cold. So <laughs> me too. That's I go to Florida in the wintertime, November to April. Um, everyone always is like, you, you actually a snowbird? I was like, I claim I am. <laughs> Cause it's all the, uh, usually it's all the elderly that go down there. And then I just tag along I license plates and all clogging up the Florida roadways. I 75 doing 60 in the left lane. That's me. <laughs> Not to the West coast. Yeah. <laughs> True. Out here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to be a little dusty and a little rocky, but we still have races. Yep. You know, I mean, I'd love, I definitely want to come, come do a works race. I know, uh, Gallagher, Borich, uh, McClure, McGill, um, shoot. A couple other guys have all gone out and at least done a couple of works races and this I've not, I've never done it. I don't know why. So I need to find time and, and, uh, well, I think most that. of them are kind of desert style, aren't they now? Um, yes and no. Um, a lot of it is yes. I'm, I'm not sure what it's going to be like in Idaho, uh, coming up shortly, but it's probably going to be a high desert style race. Um, mm. I'm not sure if the train's going to be rocky or, or what the, the dirt compound is going to be like when we were there years ago, it was, it wasn't that bad. There was a little bit of rock, but it just wasn't that crazy. It was more of a light sand, um, you know, with some hard pack spots, uh, didn't, didn't whoop out too bad, you know, well, that's impressive. Cause I've seen some of the like Glen Helens or, uh, uh, prim Nevada. Um, what's another one that just looks relentless. Uh, Havasu looks Havasu. miserable. It is. <laughs> I would say Havasu is probably the roughest, the roughest that you're going to get on the, on the work series. Uh, when they go to Mesquite, depending on what layout they have is to how bad it can get, because mm -hmm. there's some sections where it's just all whoops, just sand whoops is, you know? Yeah. Oh, Hey, we're going to go ride sand whoops. You know? <laughs> Oh, we made this cool flat turn. Oh, more sand whoops, you know? Yep, yep. Hey, more sand whoops. Yeah. Now, so those those guys run the same tire size we do, I think, right? Do they run 20s and 21s or do they run uh, uh, like 22s? 20s and 20s. And that, but they're the 50-inch wide motocross setup, yep. real long shock. Yep. Just trying to get ready. <laughs> oh, yeah, you just come with, with your your... You could ride a, like, if you go to uh Stradaline, if they go to Washington, you can ride your wood setup up there. Okay. You know, uh, if you come to Mesquite, no, I don't think you want to ride your wood set up there. Have yeah, being narrow is not you know, fun in that. <laughs> I don't know if a, a narrow setup would be that bad in Havasu. It might affect you a little bit in the turns, being able to do some of your corner speed, uh, but you're so used to a narrow bike anyways. I don't know if it would affect you the same as it mm -hmm. would the guys on the West coast. Yeah. True. Yeah. Interesting. Desert all, race all fun information. A, a desert race for you would be a whole new world. You know, what's your top speed? I mean, we might hit 60, 70 in a field, but it's once. 
you know, it's, it's, it's for five seconds. I think our average speeds are usually around 20. Well, let's bring you out to a desert race and have you <laughs> we're running a hundred. <laughs> let's hit edges at 70 miles an hour, you know? Um, yeah, that's, a, it's a totally different world. Adam knows Adam can tell you all about it. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. One day, someday I, I would like to do, um, Vegas to Reno, I think would be fun. And I think this is all kind of maybe as I'm aging out or, or when I'm, when I've achieved everything I want to, and not necessarily saying I can get hurt and not care, but like, I would like to start doing some stuff while I'm still healthy and still pretty fast and in good shape. I think it'd be a lot of fun to go try some of that stuff. And that's what bringing up Doug, I think that's what was so cool about Mr. Eichner is just, he did everything. He came, he came and raced GNCC. He could do desert races. He did endurance races. He could do, like you said, ice races and motocross. He's done it all. You know, I, somebody else said this. I didn't say it. Um, it might've been, uh, Joe, or it might've been Shane that Doug Eichner is the most underrated guy in the ATV history book. Um, and I, I kind of agree with that, but I'm also biased and prejudiced. I was the guy's mechanic for 13 and a half years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get attached to them and you, and you think their accomplishments are greater than everybody else's, but from winning a Mickey's title to being a seven time rendezvous champion, you know, and I could go on and on and on about the things that he's done. He's the last American team to win Pondevo, isn't he? To my knowledge. I don't think. I don't think anyone's, and that was a long time. They loved him too, didn't they? They still do. Yeah. Cause it seems like anyone else that, from America that goes, they hate. They're like, you're not Doug. <laughs> it seemed like, I don't know what it was. They, they really embraced him. And he was just, I feel like he was really good to the, the folks over there. And like I said, just an incredible racer. So. Well, you know, we could get into a story about that, but we didn't, we didn't sit down to talk about Doug and, and yes, he, he did things on an ATV that, you know, the, the stories are endless of the things that he did from desert racing to rendezvous to, uh, you know, uh, motocross. I mean, no, he was never a stellar motocross guy, but he won one, you know, he won one. Yep. Premier 250 class and, and he won some open class championships and, and, uh, spent some time back East, which not everybody knows. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I know when he came and raced GNCC, he definitely held his own. And I thought that was really cool. I think that's a, a lot of racers I think could benefit from, like, like I said, I, I'm, I'll never win a motocross race, but I would love to think I'm a top 10 guy. I've never done it. And I could, probably get lapped and I'm probably still going to have a lot more fun than anyone, you know, out there. But I would like to think, I'd like to think I could get closer to like sixth, but I don't know without, without really putting the effort in having a little bit of setup and maybe training directly for sprints. I think that'd be my toughest thing. I did one pro day at uh, Ohio international raceway and, uh, I think Upperman ended up winning it. I forget who his teammate or someone that was staying with him. I ended up like eighth and they only paid back to seven. And I wrote, I, I did race a cross country bike. Uh, <laughs> so I was narrow, big tires, but they had tilled the start really deep and I could almost yank the whole shot, but then I was just a roadblock. <laughs> well, if you got the whole shot, that would have been great. 
Yeah, I was close a couple. Well, I guess it would have been, it was a two motor. It might've been even a three moto format. It was really strange how they did it. And it was just a big, kind of a big money exhibition type race, but, uh, it was fun, but I arm pump, I, I, as soon as the race was over, I was just finally starting to get in my rhythm and shake the arm pump. So that would be the hardest thing for me is your heart rate goes from, you know, when you're getting changed 90 or hundred, which is pretty high, but you're just excited. And it spikes to your, your max for 20, 25 minutes. And I'm just, I'm not used to that. Um, I think our heart rate, I try to keep it at like 150, 160. And then as, as the speeds pick up and things happen, I'm sure it goes a little bit higher, but we really try to stay calm and keep the heart rate low. Cause you're not trying to burn yourself out. When you go into a fierce battle with, with like a Bryce Neal or a Hunter Hart, um, how close are you guys really in some of those tight technical battles? Uh, touching tires. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hitting bumpers off each other. And, and it usually that's just cause someone checked up a little bit different. It's not like anyone's intentionally ramming. It's just, it, especially this weekend in the field stuff. I know Bryson was inches away from me, but he had to be because of the dust. And when he passed me in the pit, he had actually pulled about three seconds on me uh, or two or three seconds between the pit and me getting going. And, uh, that two, three seconds allows the dust to not, if you're right on someone, it hasn't even came off the tires yet. When you're two seconds back, it's, it's up in your face and you can't see anything. And he was, he's, he, he was really good this weekend at being able to stay that close and bridge that dust gap. And I just, I was always at three to five seconds behind him. And I just could not, every time I'd start to inch my way in the woods and get like, I was going to get up behind him, we'd hit another field. And I was like, dang it. Uh, <laughs> and I just, and I just don't risk it in the fields anymore. You know, blind I've had enough, enough accidents and dumb decisions that I just check up and then just try to put a charge on in the woods and pray that I can get up to the rear tires, maybe make a mistake. And I know this weekend, uh, that's, I think what happened. I think he was, he, he's riding really good for sure. And, uh, just came up on some lap traffic so fast and, and tried to make a, a quick aggressive pass. And, and the guy didn't even know he was behind him. And I think the guy like went to see what the heck the sound was and turned into him as Bryson's going by him and he crashed. He ended up hitting a pickup truck and luckily he didn't get hurt, but it definitely tore the machine up. But you know, the speeds were running. That's, yeah, and it was dusty. So I come into this section and there's like people and chaos everywhere. And <laughs> it's like, is that a four wheeler up against an F-150 <laughs> as I go by? And then I, when I, I kind of looked over and, or look back again, cause I was like, what the heck just happened? And I saw his yellow helmet and I was like, Oh, he'll be back on the quad in no time. I better get going. <laughs> Did he get back up and finish? Yeah. But uh, the quad was pretty mangled. They had the, uh, there was a couple great big burly guys there, I guess that ripped the, steering stem off his gas tank and kind of got it straightened out where he can turn a little bit, but, uh, his handlebars, it, like I said, it, the quad went straight under the tailgate and it just folded everything down onto the gas tank. So oh, wow. tough break for him for sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's some of the stuff that happened. Like I said, that we're going so fast now that, that the other riders don't even know what happened. Like they don't even see us coming. They don't hear us coming. We're just there and gone. So that part's, that part's getting pretty intense. <laughs> Are they talking about changing the, the groupings at all 
to to give you guys less obstacles to race with? I I don't believe so. Uh oh, what happened? You're, there we go. My screen went blank for a second. I was like, I rut row. <laughs> um, I don't think so. Um, I think the only they'd have to move some of the B classes, and I, I don't think they really want to do that. Um, the the morning still gets like three and four hundred riders, and and they have the pro four by fours, and that that scares me to death because they have double the traffic, and their quads are really big and at four wheel drive, so they actually gave them horns. So maybe maybe they'll um, like we can rev our engines, but sometimes people don't pay attention to that either. So these guys have these really annoying me, 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 me horns. So maybe, maybe they'll allow us to adopt something like that. So we can start because there's times when you need to just be on the throttle, not revving it up. So maybe we can you work this horn thing into it. Your chest. <laughs> that's, what air, that's what Iker used to do. Yeah. No, he had, that's, horn, we, he had an air horn zip tied to his chest and when he got into traffic and they wouldn't move, he'd just hit the horn and uh, make an opening. Yep. Actually, so it no, we, got him into the lead a couple times too. Heck yeah. That's, I think we have a rule against horns, so we'll have to, maybe we can adopt that. Then maybe that would help. Cause it is, there's definitely times that they, the riders have no idea we're there and that gets a little dangerous. How does it work in the woods? Okay. You're talking about a desert guy, off-road guy. I'm not a, I'm not a woods guy. I've, I've been back and seen them, but I've never had anybody explain what it's like when you catch those slower riders in the woods, how do you get by them? Uh, it's, you got to make a lot of quick decisions and, uh, if we rev and they know we're there and they either look back or they just know the sound of our machines, just, everything just sounds different. Usually the approaching speed is is so alarming that people, some people do hear it. They just, the best thing that can happen is they know we're there and they pull out of the way before we're even behind them. Um, you know, and they can look up the uh, the trail safely and, and, and find a spot to pull off. That's the best thing that can happen. Um, the other is hope you catch them maybe where there's a split line. Cause a lot of the trail is single track style trail where it's just two train tracks driving through the bushes and you really can't get off the trail, but sometimes, you know, obviously it'll, it'll be an inside or an outside into a corner or the, the track will go like two lanes and you hope that you make enough noise or, or hit the, usually the rider will stay in the race line, which is fine. But then we have to go to the, maybe the slower line and try to get around them um, and then, I mean, sometimes they just can't, they can't move and you just have to be patient. And that's where, if you have a 20 or 30 second lead and you catch a whole train of guys, all that hard work you put in goes to nothing. Cause they, you know, if there's five or six riders and they have nowhere to go, you're just, you're just along for the parade. And then when they all find a chance to get out of the way, you've lost that whole lead that you've worked for all day, or it can work the other way. You know, you could have like this weekend, five or six seconds is just far enough where a rider could pull over, look back, not think he saw anybody else come and pull back into the track. And then I come in. So that would allow, you know, myself or, or like this weekend, Bryson to get closer to 10 seconds. Cause he got around someone and I didn't, but then I would catch back up because he was battling with somebody. So the lap traffic plays, plays a huge role in it for sure. How much do you think it's luck and or comp or uh, or skill to get through it faster? 
It's that's 50, 50. Um, I take one. less, I, I take less chances. I, I try to allow the rider to move before I make an aggressive pass. Um, some of the other guys just don't even pr- basically pretend they're not there or that it's, they're just an obstacle and they just dart off into the bushes. And a lot of the times it works for them. Every time I try to make an aggressive pass around a lap rider, I end up, you know, it ended up being a huge mistake. I'll hit a tree. I didn't see in the, in the weeds or a rock or a stump. And it ends up being a bigger issue than, than just lap traffic. So, you know, and that's sometimes it pays off. Sometimes it doesn't. So that's where, I mean, just, you have to be able to make split second decisions. And I guess right now I, I make the best ones or the better one, usually, uh, you know, four wins and seven races and uh, a pretty good size points lead. I must be doing something right. <laughs> What do you contribute the point points lead to uh, just consistent finishes consist? Yep. Consistent finishes. Uh, I don't think it's a secret that I'm probably not the fastest rider every weekend, but I pretty much always get it to the finish line. Um, and I think there might only be another rider, maybe two riders that have actually finished all seven rounds up to this point. Everyone else has had a DNF or two. Wow. Yeah. It's just at this stage in the game, you can't do that. You have to, you have to at least finish every race. You have to score points at every race. And I, I have seven straight podiums and five hole shots. So I'm, I make sure I put myself in a position to win right out of the gate. Um, and the two races I didn't get the whole shot. I think I was second. So definitely, Oh no, the first round I crashed on the start, but so did Bryson. So your number one and two riders were both upside down, two different incidents. Uh, I crashed coming out of the third corner. He crashed in the second corner <laughs> and then we both worked our way up through the pack and, and got first and second. Uh, he won. I was second. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of challenges. If you have to go back in time and you had to, you had to line up with some of your heroes, who would you most fear? Um, I'm told that I would have, that most people feared Bob Sloan. <laughs> Why did I know you were going to say that? Yeah. That's who, um, you know, talking with Barry and talking with, uh, Chuck DeLulo and, and uh, Tom Toke and a lot of those other, um, big name guys at the time. Um, Holbert, um, just a lot of those guys were like, man, he just, he was something else. He, there's maybe a screw a little loose in there somewhere. He was just tough to beat. And just, a, like you said, fierce competitor, tough, strong, just greedy performances. And that's, those guys really weren't training. I'm pretty sure they drank beer all week and then just showed up, but they were like, he was just a man. There's just no way around that. Yeah. That's, that's, kind of, <laughs> that's kind of the interpretation I've had have of him. I got to spend a, a little bit of time with the man and, and, uh, and talk with him on the phone quite a bit and, um, just really enjoyed him as a human. Yeah. I, was, I heard he was a pretty cool guy and it's just, it sucks that he was taken so early. I would have loved to have heard some of the stories and seen more of the battles. And I would have liked to have seen how the, Barry Hawk championship string would have fared with Bob. True. This is very true. You know, I think Barry would have still won a lot because Bob was 36 and Barry was still a kid, but Bob might've taken one or two away from him uh, before he stopped riding. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some of those wins and, and you know, his, his record would have been even better too. 
Right. You know, that was a, that was a really cool, um, milestone in my career. I think it was 24 overall wins or, or 24 or 28. And, uh, you know, when we achieved that, it was like, man, like right now, the same thing, name in the books, there's a lot more names above it, but just think about that. Like Bob Sloan right there. And I was like, that is so crazy. And then, um, his son actually, uh, got a hold of me. It was like, that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like Jason. Yeah. Jason. And, uh, that's what he was pumped. He's like, Oh man, dad would have been super pumped. I'm like, I feel like your dad probably wouldn't have been so pumped that some punk was beating, beating his records. (laughs) His dad might've, his dad might've freaking suited back up and said, yeah, we're going to fix that. Yeah, yeah, I need to go get one more kid. <laughs> exactly, because he was he was a tough old dude, man. And, yep. and I say old, but see, I was dealing with Bob when I was young and green. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm sitting here with white hair, but Bob was in his 30s, and I was early 20s, and uh, just learning my craft. Uh, you know, I couldn't even say I was a true professional at that point. You know, because there was yep. just so many things to learn. Yeah. But it's awesome that you say that. So, so let's, let's rephrase the question. Who's your most fierce competitor today? Uh, Bryson Neal, for sure. He's, uh, he's just a little bit bigger, stronger, uh, rider. Um, and he's just tough. Like I said, if I would have hit that pickup truck, that probably would have been the end of my, uh, for sure race day and probably season, you know, I'd, I, I don't take those, those hits anymore that, that well, just enough concussions and just little stupid stuff. And, uh, it didn't even phase him. I don't think so. He's just, like I said, he's just tough. And, uh, I think I still got him maybe race craft and, uh, you know, that consistent thing's tough to tough to teach, but, uh, Hunter Hart too. Um, I think if he, he has the speed and I think same thing, start learning some consistency and, uh, he has finished all the races this year. So, you know, huge, huge, uh, hats and hats off to him and props for sure. Um, we do some of his mechanic work, uh, with share my mechanic, Mark Notman. And, uh, I think that's been a, a huge asset to his program as well. But yeah, he just, uh, I don't know if he gets tired or if he, I can't imagine he does. I think he just maybe loses a little bit of focus. And, uh, as long as he has, uh, myself or, or Adam McGill or, uh, Bryson Neal to latch onto, he can, he can match, match you, uh, you know, pace for pace. The second, you know, if he bobbles in a corner or stalls or something and loses a couple seconds, he really has a hard time bridging that gap. So I don't know if he'll find that extra bit of his program this season. It could be next season. Uh, you know, it could be, it could be 10 seasons. It could be never, you don't know how someone's going to mature and, and, and what they'll change. Um, I think a rider that, reminded me a lot of Hunter was Cole Richardson. Um, super fast kid, um, in good shape. And, uh, it just was always crashing. Just, I mean, he was the fastest guy on the track when he was in a class, but he was just a wrecking ball. And it was like, same thing. He'd bounce back up, always bounce back up. And then one day he didn't bounce back up and he has had to mature a lot, tone it back a little bit and know that, uh, I, I just, I'll, I'll take this second or third place podium position rather than take that chance because I need to be able to line up next weekend first or, or, you know, if, if, if he knows he's got a shot at it, uh, like I said, he's, he's a racer that's really matured. Um, 
But our class is actually still made up of a lot of uh, senior veteran riders. You know, Chris Borch is uh, 39 years old. Johnny Gallagher's 43. Adam McGill's 34 or 5. Um, Jared McClure's 33 or 34. I'm trying to go through the list here. Who else? Um, I guess we're probably about 50-50. It's like either old guys and then the new guys and i'm kind of like the youngest of the old guys <laughs> nice yeah nice so there's a couple old guys there that are uh feathers are a little ruffled that this kid keeps beating them yes i guess <laughs> yeah i guess <laughs> trust me i always used to think that youth and enthusiasm would beat age and treachery forever now i'm just like age and treachery will smash you kid yeah 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 it for sure it doesn't always work that way but you know no it doesn't always work but you know we can always be positive about it <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it a hell of a shot you know what i'm yep, saying yep attitude is everything <laughs> so we talked a little bit about your future possibly racing uh some other things as you get a little older if you had to put a, a stopwatch on your career are you thinking 32 34 36 um so I'm uh, working on championship number seven and uh, I would really like to get to 10 or I, I have to get to nine. I at least got a match bill. I'd love to, I'd love to beat him just, just because, you know, I feel like you get, you, we've gone this far and, and we've had such great success that it would just be, it'd be awesome to, you know, say you're the greatest of all time. Um, and uh, you would end up passing Chris Borch in the all time wins list. Um, because obviously you, you, it takes, it takes about six wins, six or seven wins a season to win a championship. Um, anymore, the last, I'd say the last 15, 17 years, that seems to be about the magic number at six, seven. Um, so yeah, it, uh, we're at 64 career wins. We're 11 behind, uh, Chris Borich and, uh, yeah, we're, currently three championships behind Bill balance. So I, I definitely want to stick around long enough to achieve those goals. And then after that, I don't know, I guess as long as racing still paying the bills or at least paying for itself and I'm still having fun and I'm still healthy, I'm going to keep doing it. So three years, I'd be 31. Um, I'm hoping I would say probably 35, 36 seems to be about the point where you should stop before something happens because that's you can still you can still recover that and, and then maybe still enjoy life after racing too. I don't want to I don't want to beat myself up so bad that you know I need knee replacement at thirty seven or something you know. <laughs> so just try to make smart decisions and, and enjoy the ride too. Um, you know, Bill Balance. That's the probably the one thing that he really told me. He's like you you don't think you would miss it until it's over. And, and, it, and it'll never come back. He's like, and I could race and I can do locals and I can still work on bikes. But he said, you know, you don't, you don't slip into a number one Jersey anymore and you don't have hordes of fans wanting your autograph and you don't want, or you don't, you're not lining up and, and hearing that 10 second call and getting whole shots and, you know, being in all the magazines, it's like that stuff goes away. And he said, it's, he said, enjoy it while you can for sure. He said, enjoy it while it's here. Cause it's, one of the greatest, it was the greatest years of his life other than obviously his children and, and family events and stuff. But he's like, as far as 
I, he said it, it consumed so much of my life that just one day it was over. And, uh, you know, I guess I, I, I really take those words, um, to heart and I'm, I'm trying to enjoy it. I'm, I'm really trying to just race by race, not look too far ahead. I don't want to always just think about, I got seven years. I got eight years. I just want to, I want to focus on this week and enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. I love what I do. It's, you know, it's a, it's a dream. Um, you know, I guess one day we're all going to have to wake up from it, but, uh, I just love being around. Don't don't be be going there. (laughs) I love, uh, I love the sport of ATV racing and it's so super cool to, to be a huge, you know, part of it. Don't tell me I have to grow up. You know, don't tell me I have to stop dealing with these no. and no, no. on them and, and going to races and stuff. I, I, I'm just not going to go there. Young man. Yep. Yep. <laughs> just not, cool. not tell me how to live my life. <laughs> You're not my dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but my um, dad's still so, doing it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Serious. He's 85 years old. Still doing it. Still tinkering. Uh, no, he goes to the engine shop and works with my brother in the engine shop for the company. Um, wow. And he's 85 years old. That's and awesome. You know what he does for his free time? Fishing. He needs parts <laughs> for motorcycles and ATVs in his spare time th- that, that he does because that's what he wants to do. That's awesome. Still, yeah. still manufacturing and producing all these years later. Oh, I don't think he'll ever stop. And uh, yeah. I don't want him to stop. Yeah. You probably, yeah. That's the day that that happens. That's not good. We should, we should go check his, we need to get a doctor there immediately. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, he's got a job to do. Can you wake him up and, you know, get him back in front of that machine? Um, Yeah. yeah, I mean, you joke about it, but at 85, every day we get with him is a blessing. And, um, and it It probably keeps him young. You know, he's, he could outwork most kids I know. I bet there's days when I'm like, uh, I'm tired, dad. I'm you go right on ahead, but I've had enough today. And, and, and you think that that's not true, but you know, he may sit down and rest for a bit, but while he's sitting there resting, just like you, when you're navigating the, the course and you're planning ahead and these other guys are just pin it to win it, he's maybe sitting there resting, but he's planning the next moves. Mm-hmm. When he gets up, it's bang, bang, bang. And he still did more than you, even though you worked harder all day than him. Yep. I didn't take the rest. I didn't stop for lunch. Why did he get more done than me? Because he's still smarter. Yep. You know, and, and I don't ever want to stop the ATV industry. I know my wife, um, my wife was never around in the younger portion of the ATV world. Um, if you've listened to any of these shows, you know that she was from Guadalajara and, uh, she met me long after I raced and, but I was still, I'm still traveling and still doing these things. So it's all new to her. Um, but it's new to the point where she says, yeah, you go do your thing. I'm not coming. <laughs> Race weekends are for the boys. <laughs> uh, it's dirty. Uh, it's noisy. And yeah, I have things I can do at home. Yeah. Well, so, there's nothing okay. wrong with that. No, no, not at, least at all. She still, at least she still allows you to enjoy it. Cause I know I'm sure she realizes how important it is to you. And it's, it's important to find someone like that. You know, I've been with the same girl for six and a half years and 
she always jokes that it, you know, it takes up a, a big part of, of her life and, and, you know, that she's excited maybe one day for her to be over, but in the same breath, she says, I'm just kidding. Like, I know how much it means to you and I do enjoy it and I'm competitive. So when you're out there racing, I feel like I'm racing. So get out there and win some damn races. Cause I like winning. <laughs> and, and you know, that is, that is huge. Your partner, it, she's the one that you can console or, or can go to when you need consoling, or she's the one that's going to help you when you don't think you can get up. And she's like, no, you're getting up period. You know, and if yep. you're like the other man, you're getting up regardless, Yep. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. Okay. I know it hurts, honey, but I'm going, yeah, I'm on the line. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, for sure. That's uh, like I said, got to have a strong, strong support group. So. And you awesome. you said your dad's still involved in, in your racing. Yep. Yep. He runs the fuel can. Um, every once in a while, he's got some shoulder issues that he can't lift the four gallons high enough. Cause he's not a, he's a, he has a big heart, but he, he's not large in stature. <laughs> he's a, he's a little guy, but, uh, he's still, um, he grooves my, my tires. So that's his, his role as mechanic, um, we kind of, we got, we picked up Mark in, uh, 2000, the end of 2012. And prior to that, um, I had my mechanic Brock booth that I had with balance from the end of 09 to, uh, 12. So I guess dad, dad's transition from mechanic to more fueler pit crew kind of happened like 2008. So the end of my, um, my A-class days moving into XC2, uh, pro-am it's kind of when dad was like, all right, you're, you're racing above what I'm capable of doing. We need to find someone else to do it, <laughs> but he's still, he's still involved, still drives, drives the rig to the, to the tracks. We have a, um, what is this thing? A Kenworth, I guess I'm actually sitting in it because um, I drove to town here where, where it's parked. I don't have any cell service at home and I don't have Wi-Fi or anything. It's a, like I said, I'm the least technologically advanced 28 year old in America, I think. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm at the shop and uh, I'm in the motorhome and, uh, it pulls our 26 foot stacker trailer. That was my college fund. So thanks mom and dad. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, and there's nothing wrong with furthering your education. I just, chose racing. And, uh, you know, I feel like at least short term, I made the right choice. And you know what? Everybody's got to make their choice. I didn't go to college either. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't, um, you know, my education was in building ATVs and working in a business, a family business. My brother owns it. My dad owned it before that. Uh, there's a whole backstory why I'm not an owner, but, but it's, it, it, it's not a bad story. It's just the way it worked out. Yeah. Um, and you learn so much you're learning about a business. So you're developing your skill set so that when you go out into the real world, even though you may not be racing, you're still negotiating deals. You're still able to run your business. You have a competitive edge because you are a competitor Mm -hmm. And that's going to make you better in business when you get out into the real world, if it's not involved in racing or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think, uh, and that just, the, the proof is in the pudding. There's a lot of ex racers that are either still involved with the sport or have super successful companies or jobs 
after racing and same thing, maybe not having a, a 12 year college degree, but it's a, it's, it's a great industry to, to teach you anything you really want to know, as long as you're willing to uh, be a sponge. And that's the biggest thing. Like I know <clears throat> I wasn't, when I was with Bill, like I didn't really understand everything at the time, but I just tried to absorb everything. I was just a sponge and I'm like, I don't really understand what's going on, but maybe one day I'll get it. And that, that was the case. Like as I aged a little bit and I kind of kept thinking, I was like, I remember Bill said to do this. I don't really know why, but I was going to do it. And then one day it was like, I got it. Like this makes sense now. And I can call him up and be like, do you remember telling me this? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, and it was it because of this. And he's like, it is holy crap. It took you eight years. That's it. And I'm like, <laughs> I got it. I, I figured it out. Finally. He's like, well, I told you. And I was like, but I didn't, I didn't get it. So right. there's a lot of, like I said, and there's so many smart people and, and self-taught individuals running programs and machinery that, that extremely, intelligent people can't figure out. And it's the same thing. A lot of us are just kind of backwoods boys that just figured it out. <laughs> well, I'm not backwoods per se. Maybe I am for, for living in California, but you know what? I, I couldn't think of a better thing to do than go work on an ATV um, or go work with the finest people in the world, the ATV community. Um, yeah. It's it's done amazing things for me, and I've got to go amazing places and meet. You know, one day, one day, I hope to be able to shake your hand instead of instead of talk to you through a Zoom meeting. Um, that would be a highlight for me. To, oh, absolutely, to me too. Wow, yeah, I'm just I'm just an old guy in the ATV world. You're a six time <laughs> soon to be hopefully a seven time champion or more. Um, and uh, I want to thank you very much for taking the time with ATV talk and to come on the show. And as I do with most guests, I would like to extend the invitation to have you come back at another time so that we can really dig deep into championships and some of the techniques it takes to, to win them. Um, we touched on a lot of different subjects in uh uh, what I really like to do is I'd like to get inside the, your brain there and, and, and talk about building a champion and, and, and what it took to build you into the champion you are. All right. Heck yeah. It's, I, it's already been what an hour. I can't believe it. It, uh, that went by quick. So yeah, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good topics, good stories and plenty more to go. So uh, we'll have to, I'll have to come back on because I still got plenty to talk about. <laughs> well, I would love to have you give me more. Um, most of my shows run, uh, and I, I really hate to call them a show, but it is a show. It's a, it's a, yep. it's a podcast. And, um, most of them run a little over an hour. Um, I just taped before I sat down with you, um, for two hours. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And we covered the same gamut. You know, I can never get all the information that I want to extract out of somebody in one time because the conversation goes so many different directions, all the tangents. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, and, and, and cause I don't script anything. Yep. I'm, not, I'm not going to again. So we're probably going to talk about all kinds of different other stuff. And, and, and I'll be like scratching my head afterwards going, you know, I forgot to ask this and we didn't talk about that. And, so let, let, hey. let, let's talk about this real quick. Corey Ellis. What a great guy. 
<laughs> you know, I never worked with Corey when he was racing. I've known Corey forever. It seems like forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been on the show and he is just a kick. Yeah. He's a great time. That's uh, fortunate enough uh, through GBC tires to uh, have gotten to know him. And uh, yeah, it's, he's a, he's a riot for sure. Just he, he's a little quiet at first until you really get to know him. And then, uh, oh man, all, uh, all the doors are open. It's, it's just wide open after that. You're like, Oh boy, what did I get myself into? But no, he's a, he's a good, great individual and a, a awesome racer. And same thing. Some of his stories, uh, when he was racing with factory Suzuki, I, he was at the house, um, filming, um, there was a, we were doing a little piece for GBC and, and he was at the house for two days and I got to really sit down for like an hour and a half one-on-one and just, just do what we're doing. Just talk. And, uh, that was really cool. I got, felt like I, I knew quite a bit about him. I did. So it was neat to, to hear some of his stories and, and he was trying to, I was explaining some of my struggles with my bike setup and I was like, this is, this is a great opportunity to talk to someone who has been on a, a lot of different brands with a lot of different uh, componentry and maybe figure out if, if he could help me. So, you know, I, I told him some of my, my, my struggles were strong points and, and, you know, he was able to give me some feedback and that's awesome. You know, not only is he, uh, not necessarily my boss, but you know, a, a higher up in one of the companies that, that helps me, but he's also a, a friend and a fellow c- competitor and same thing. He wishes nothing more than to see, uh, you know, like myself or Johnny Gallagher, um, uh, another GBC writer, Chris Borch this year, he wants to see us be successful. So he'll offer any of his knowledge that he has to. What did he say to you about ATV talk? <laughs> he said, get on there now. I'm tired of getting texts from Leonard. <laughs> uh, I'm a hard guy to get a hold of. That's not news to most people that know me. So <laughs> I not a good, told- not a good skill. I have been told that you are um, kind of to yourself. You don't reach out a lot and you're, you're just a guy that's controlled in your world and and you keep it that way. And, and uh, you know what, there's a lot to be said for that. And I really appreciate it. Um, So I didn't, I don't take offense to it in any way. Um, (laughs) I'm kind of like a, a, a thorn you know, I'm oh, just, not at all. Not at all. This is all good stuff. And, and, and media is, uh, this is social media and YouTube and all of that. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that is a huge part of our industry now is, is the media, you know, back in the day it was, it was, uh, um, pr- you know, printed literature, magazines, newspaper articles, all that stuff, pamphlets. And now it's, you know, it's all on the old inner the gal- the galactic interweb somewhere. Yep. And, uh, I think I kind of have an old schoolish mentality. I, I love just letting the race results do the talking and I'm not as good on, you know, I'm not as active on social media and, and posting and videos, but, uh, I need to be cause I'm going to get left in the dark. So, well, you know, your gal, there you go, dude. There hand, we go. Hand her the phone and say, take over, honey. Yep. <laughs> Film me doing this, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for, um, I would have to say all of my children, but my daughter, my oldest daughter really is pretty anti ATV racing, um, because as she was growing up, her dad was never home. Yep. My son got to go a lot. So he is diehard loves it. 
Um, my other three children that I got when they were adults, um, kind of are embracing the social media business that we have and are, uh, trying to help any way they can from one being an advertiser, the other being some editing and, uh, Daniel being there for, uh, reaching out and getting a hold of people. And, uh, awesome. Uh, yeah. My son, Danny, that lives in Idaho. He's a respiratory therapist and he, uh, he wants to be involved more, but he's got three babies at home and a, and a wife and a job. And, you know, he just goes, well, dad, what about this? What about that? And I go, oh, son, I love you, but we already did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, really? You know, it gets all dejected, but uh, it, it's a lot of fun. And I'm glad that your family's still involved in a, in a little piece of advice. Keep mom and dad going with you as long as you can, because when your time is over, you don't get it back. Yep. You know? and, and, and trust me, I'm, my career is not over, but I do see the light at the end of the tunnel. There's a day when it's going to be, and yep. you, you, there's no light at your tunnel right now that I can see other than the one that you want to turn on. Yep. No, I get that. True. That's a great way to put that too. Uh, but you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working for minutes you're working for days. So there's, so there's a whole different perspective on, you know, I want one more podium or I want one more win, or I want one more championship because I can see the, 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 the dimming of the, of the time. And, um, we just talked about my dad and, and the fact that he builds parts. So when I get up and I go talk to him about this interview and I let him know how awesome it was and how much I enjoyed it, you need to take those moments with your parents. And I'm not just talking to you here about this. I'm, I'm, I'm telling everybody that listens, uh, knowing that I just lost my mother, you don't get a second conversation. So take the time for that first conversation, take the time to bring them into your life because they're so proud of you. I can, I just bet money that your dad just beams when, when you win races and, and, you know, the, the proud pop of proud mom thing is just unbelievable. And, um, just, just take some time and, and relish the wins and the, uh, championships. It's, it's an awesome time in your life. And, um, I can tell you from experience, I wish that Doug and I would have enjoyed our wins. We didn't. We yep, went, great. We went back some, and got ready for another race. Yep. That's a lot of great advice. So for everybody too, not, yeah, like not just towards me. That's, that's great advice for life. You, you should enjoy, and it's not necessarily winning, um, enjoy successes and hardships and, and everything else. It's uh, like you said, it's just time's borrowed. So we got to enjoy it while we have it. Oh yeah. It is way more borrowed than, than any of us think. And, uh, you know, none of us are guaranteed it tomorrow. So no. hold on to today. And, and, uh, when you wake up in the morning, take that deep breath, say amen and freaking charge hard because, yep. you know, Walker, I, you don't know. And, and words can't express how grateful I am to spend the time with you. Um, you are an amazing champion in a, in a series and in, in a discipline of racing that I am unschooled in. Uh, I have a minuscule amount of knowledge, but I have the utmost respect for you, Chris, Barry, Bob, 
and, and the other and, and Bill. Um, and I just want to reach out to you and I'm going to contact you again. And we're, <laughs> we're going to have another conversation because we didn't get enough done this time. Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So we'll have episode two coming someday soon. Excellent. Uh, you know, uh, when is your break over or when is your break? Did your break start or is it? No, our, uh, we have five more weeks. So we have, uh, we have a race June 2nd, uh, June 25th. It might be the 24th, 26th. It's around that time. Um, and then, uh, so that last week in June is when uh, summer break starts. And then we come back the second week in September. So we have a nice little summer break and get to enjoy some summer activities, get to do some fishing, get to do some, some boating and skiing and, and some other the things in life that I don't get to enjoy as much as, uh, you know, some other people, but I get a, I get a taste of it just enough to go, Oh, that was a blast. And then, like you said, we'll get right back to work. But, uh, yeah, I've, uh, this has been awesome. I had a really good time. So thanks for having me on the show for sure. And what is that behind you? Is it a, it looks like a, is it a 70? Is it a 70? Yep. My dad's then, restoring it. It's a fully, that an suspended, after- fully suspended ATC 70. It's an aftermarket frame with the okay. purple clamps and the forks and a, and a, and a, uh, rear shock with a swing arm. Okay. I was saying, cause the shocks were throwing me off. I was like, it looks like a fat tire of some kind, but I couldn't see the back, but that, that makes sense. The frames definitely says it's a, a 70. Heck yeah. Look at that. That is super trick. Now what's the rear shock out of? Um, you know, that bike and chassis is older than you are. <laughs> That's insane. Um, That's and crazy. I say that is because it hung in the shop years and years ago. And when the shop was moved, that was brought here and hung into the rafters and it hung in the rafters for probably 20 years. So I'm Holy cow. over 30 years old. Dang. And, it, and you guys built it with the suspension then, or is this a recent thing? My dad bought that kit from an individual that, that built them probably in the eighties. That's uh, unreal. I would probably say pre 86. Wow. Um, That's yeah. really neat. And then we have another one. He's got four or five seventies that he's doing mods on and doing restorations on, uh, let alone the triumphs and, and other motorcycles that he works on. He's got a model a pickup in the, uh, on, Oh heck yeah. Uh, that he's, uh, rebuilt the motor and did all the, the, did all the work on it himself. So to this point, that's where the CNC mill came from because he kept buying parts for the model a and they were wrong. So he said, you know what? I'm going to build my own. (laughs) I love it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That that's the guy that I aspire to be better than in this industry, you know, is my own dad. And I, I honestly, I could win a million races. And I still don't think I'd be beat what he can do. Yeah. Wow. That's it's pretty amazing. Very amazing. So, Walker, I'm going to let you go here and we will catch up um, very soon and you keep winning and thank you very much for your time. Awesome. I'll keep my end of the bargain. I'll keep winning and uh, we'll see you guys again. Thanks so much for having me. All right, brother. Thank you. 
The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We feel winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.